0: Good morning, Calvary. My name is Thomas, if we've never met, and it's my joy to be on staff here at Calvary. And today we're going to conclude our summer series that we've been looking at for the last few months called This We Believe. And then next week we're going to start a new series that will take us all the way to the end of the year, journeying through the book of Revelation. So buckle up, Buttercup, it's going to be fun. But we're going we're gonna to conclude this we believe today. And we've been saying this for several months. What we believe really matters. For what we believe to be true about life, about God, about ourselves, about the world around us, impacts the way in which we interact with others, the world, ourselves, and the world around us. And so what we believe to be true influences how we behave. So what we believe... Shapes how we behave. And so we better truly understand that what we hold to be true is the truth. And so we've been spending several weeks looking at what is true about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is true about God's word as a historical, reliable, eyewitness account of the activities of God throughout human history? What is it that we believe about humanity That men and women were created on purpose, with a purpose, from God to be worshipers in this world. What does it mean that we are born sinful, but we have... A Savior who has come to redeem us, to forgive us, to reconcile us back to himself. And what do we believe about this community we call the church? And we've been looking at different ways in which the scriptures call the church the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. All of this is to actually not just simply inform you as to what is true, but that you would be influencers of truth in the world around you. In fact, this is really all education is. Whether you come into the church and we open up God's word, or maybe you're in school, or maybe you're just simply a a student yourself, you don't simply want to know what's true so you can be informed. You want to know what's true so you can influence others. See, Jesus, he gave a sermon that was entitled, This We Believe. Well, maybe it wasn't exactly entitled, This We Believe. But he gave a sermon about the truth of the kingdom, of what was to be believed about the kingdom of God. We call this the Sermon on the Mount. When many people began to start following Jesus, he settled them down on the hillside and said, let me teach you what is true of the kingdom of God. This we believe to be true. And many times he would start by saying this, you've heard it said, this is true about money about forgiveness, about divorce, about generosity, about righteousness. But I say to you, meaning this is true, I say this to you, the kingdom of God's ethic, its truth. And then he would give them a teaching. Now when he left the Sermon of the Mount, it wasn't the idea of, okay, well now a whole bunch of people are informed no, they were to know what is true that they might go influence the world around them. We know that because of what he calls the community of people who would embrace his teaching of the kingdom to be salt and light. If you got your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Right after the Beatitudes of this is true, this is what we believe about the kingdom of God, Of God, he says this starting in verse 13 You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here he calls us salt and light. Those who know the truth about God aren't simply to be informed but they're set aside, they're distinct from the world around them that they might influence the world around them. You're called to be salt and light. Both are elements that are distinct from the world around it. Therefore, this would be the main point. You have been made distinct in order to make a difference. You know the truth, which is different than the world's truth. That's why Jesus sits his disciples down and says, you've heard it said, this is true. I tell you that's not true, this is what's true. You've heard it said, but I tell you the truth. And then embracing that truth is gonna make you distinct. The world has its own distinct idea of what it means to be human. We hold a very distinctly different view of what it means to be made on purpose, with a purpose, with the image of God put in men and women, that distinction is given so that we would make a difference in the world. The world has ideas about who is God, where this world is going. We are distinct. Our truth is distinct. It's distinct from other world religions. And the reason that you've been made distinct is so that you might make a difference. That's what salt and light do. They influence the environments in which they touch. So first, salt. Now what is this idea of salt? Well, well, in the first century, we didn't have refrigeration, and so in order to preserve meats over time, you would apply salt to it. You might even take salt and put it in someone's wound, an open wound. And the reason you do that is it slows down the bacterial decay of the meat or even removes some of that bacteria itself to preserve maybe the wound or the meat so you might eat it later. It's a preservation. And so when life is decaying, you applied salt to it so that you would be able to preserve it. That's one one of the uses. Another use is just it enhances a flavor. Now, salt is is unique in all the different seasonings or different sauces that you put on things. If you want to hide the flavor of something, like your husband made something for dinner, and you're like, oh, thanks for trying. Really appreciate it. You grab a bottle of hot sauce, right, sriracha, and you just douse that thing. And you can cover over a multitude of sins. And you can eat it. But that's not what salt's for. What is salt for? Oh, this dish is... Amazing. And in order to bring out its flavor, that we might be able to taste its notes more clearly, you put salt on it. And so it's a pre- preservation and it, it's an, an enhancer. Salt does these two things it preserves and it enhances the things that it touches. Now, how is it that the believer who holds these truths about God does that? How does the truth of God preserve life and enhance it? Well, you have to understand, Jesus probably is thinking of something else besides maybe the dinner table where he's like, pass the salt, this lamb is rather dry, and he's like, by the way, you're the salt of the earth, you know? He has something else in his mind. And that is the way that salt is referred to in the language of covenant. Covenant. So if you've got your Old Testament, zip all the way back to Leviticus. This is the Levitical law in which God calls his people to salt their offerings in the covenant. This is Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offerings. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. It's a preservation, it's the enhancement, it's the note in which says, This covenant is persevering. This is a covenant of life. This is the covenant that I give to my people. And in your offerings, all your grain offerings, You're to add salt to it. It's the salt of the covenant. Flip over to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 18. Starting in verse 19, end of 19. It says, All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due, meaning like it's going to be sustained. It is a covenant, how God relates to his people, the covenant of salt forever before the Lord, for you and for your offspring with you. So you have the Levitical laws of, of offerings and now you have the covenant forever with the offspring. And then you even have the covenant of David. Look at the covenant of David. This is Second Chronicles. Flip over to 2 Chronicles if you want. Chapter 13, verse 5. Less pages are turning now. It's like, ooh, Old Testament, get lost, you know. It's all right. I put it on the screen for you. I love you. All right, chapter 13, verse 5. Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? It's a persevering, lasting covenant. And then when you come to the work of Jesus Christ, he says, there's a new covenant that I give to you. And it's established in his blood, is it not? And so the people of the covenant who know the truth, the truth about who God is, how God has made us, our need for his saving work, are the bearers of truth, the bearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that covenant that's given by the people are people who are salty, preserving, enhancing. The only reason we're salty is because we bear the truth of God. What makes us salty, what makes us preserving of life, what makes us enhancing of life is that we're gospel people is that you know the truth about who God is, who you are, who Christ is, and you've received him. Like the two who were baptized this morning, I received the work of Jesus Christ in my life. And because they've been baptized, immersed in the life of Jesus Christ, they are salty, and it preserves life. Now you look around the world, and the world is decaying. And what God has given to the world to slow down its decay is the church. You got to just think about that. It's more than just an event that you attend on Sunday. We are the persevering presence of God on the planet. The body of believers who have the gospel of truth isn't just so we'd be informed by it, but that we'd influence the world that's decaying with the truth of the Gospel. The next analogy he gives is the analogy of light. You are the light of the world. Again, he doesn't just pull this out of thin air. The analogies of light and darkness are rich from the very first pages of the Bible to the end. The light is the presence of God, is the truth of God. It is what brings order and beauty out of chaos. Genesis chapter 1 opens with the world in darkness until God says, let there be what? Light. Light. And there was light. And that's the beginning of order and beauty and life. And then John tells us that Jesus is this true light. Light illuminates life and it exposes life. That's what Jesus has come to do. So you go to John. John is just filled with this biblical imagery of light and darkness. John chapter 1, verse 9 says, The true light, that's Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So the light that made the world has now come into his creation to give light. The first thing is to illuminate When someone moves out of ignorance to understanding or misinformation to truth, we would say their mind has been enlightened. So someone who knows what it is to to know truth is someone who knows what it is to be enlightened, to have light in their life. And he says the true light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Now, light doesn't just simply illuminate, it exposes. So think of all the environments that have really bright lights. Surgical centers, dentist offices, right? Why why do they have really bright lights? Because they're trying to expose and see where the problems are, where disease exists. You think about all the different kinds of lights that they use, they use x-rays to be able to see inside your body If the bones are broken, let's expose what's going on under the surface. Let's use UV lights to expose bacterial infections. This is why investigators, when they come on a crime scene, use certain UV lights to expose, reveal what's hidden there of bodily fluids, of blood, of semen and urine. This is why you never bring a UV light into a hotel. (laughs) just leave the lights off. And think of all the the environments that have really dim, lit rooms. Like, I don't want people at Calvary to see me here. I don't want them to see what I'm doing here. And so the light of life was coming into the world to enlighten everyone, to expose the disease that we're not paying attention to, to reveal truth. But not everybody loves that, do they? Not everybody likes to be in well-lit rooms. For you are exposed. You're undone. That's what John says. Here's the judgment. That Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world. He didn't show up to expose light and be like, you're condemned and you're condemned and you're condemned. No, he came in to save the world and say, there's disease. Come out of it. There's decay. Come to me. There's death come to life. He came to expose our need that we would run to him. But not everybody does that. This is John chapter 3, following the famous John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him would have eternal life. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. Like, this is the verdict. This is what happened. This is what's happening in our world today, too. The light has come into the world, and people loved their darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed, seen clearly. And so there are many people in this world that say, I do not want to hear about the truth of God. I don't want you in my life. I want you to keep your faith to yourself. For they hate the light. For in it, they are exposed. Now here's the thing. When light came into my life, all my deeds were exposed. And for those who hate their deeds, and are sick and tired of the disease in their life, of of the ways in which we harm ourselves and harm others, and you want to be healed, then you run to the light, and you experience the cleansing power of Jesus Christ to wash away the deeds of darkness, to wash away the deeds of shame and guilt, and restore you to be who you were intended to be in the image of God. So those who are sick and tired of their deeds, they're looking for light. They're looking for someone to show up at their office in their neighborhood and tell them how to find forgiveness if you would let your light shine. And you truly have it. This is John chapter eight, if you wanna go over to John chapter eight. Jesus, this is verse 12, again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have, you will possess the light of life. And so having the covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ, having Christ is to have the light. And so we are truly salt and light In the world. And so if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, he tells us, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Our salt and light is to be felt and experienced so that others can see it and respond themselves. And he calls it good works. Now, these good works... That's not just simply pleasantries, niceties. When the the Bible speaks about the good works of God, it speaks about justice. Like, go see where there is abuse and bring justice there. See where there's division and bring reconciliation. See where there's pride and bring humility. See where there's selfishness and show generosity The good works of justice, mercy, kindness, generosity, forgiveness. Those are the real good works that it's almost impossible to do unless you are salt and light. He says, go put them on display. For the world who is decaying, for the world that sits in darkness, might see. And so salt and light only infect the environment's in which it's close to. Do you get that? Like, you own, like meat that's decaying only is preserved from salt that touches it. And so the salt must be rubbed into the meat. It must come in contact with the meat if it's going to have an effect on it. Similarly, light must be felt, and sensed in its environment. And so what does that say to the Christian? That you don't take your salt and your light and go hibernate somewhere, retreat from life somewhere, build up your fortress, and don't come in contact with that scary world around you. No, it's an invitation to go get close to the world that's decaying, that's living in darkness because you know the truth, not just to be informed, but to influence the world around you, which means if you're salt and light, salt's gotta get low and deep inside of places of decay and light must be lifted high. So you're like a city on a hill. Why would you cover that? And so salt, and light must be platformed. Now, here's, here's the truth. We've been, we've been journeying for, for several months, and I've heard several of you you come to me and said, man, I can't believe you're doing this series. Like, this is offensive. True. And there's something about what we believe to be true about God, about humanity, about this world, That for some reason, Christian, you're nervous to share that. You go to work, you go to school, you go to your neighborhood, and it's like, I'm on my heels. I hope nobody asks. This passage is an invitation to get off your heels and to get on your toes. For you are salt and light. And this is what the world needs. It needs you to show up and reveal the truth of the gospel, of the work of Jesus Christ, and not to be on your heels and let your light be real dim so no one pays attention to you. Make sure that no one gets too close to your life that they might be sensing the salt. Notice is an invitation to say, draw near, get in low, stand up tall. For the world, which is decaying and lives in darkness, needs, needs salt and light. The second thing that's so important to remember is that it says that we are salt and light. And so yes, you are salt and light as an individual, but let's just ask ourselves, when you want to put some salt on your lovely T-bone steak, do you just like grab the salt shaker, put it in your hand? You're like, I just need one little grain no. It's like, I'm going to put salt on something. If you're going to preserve meat, do you think it takes more than one grain? Yes. Yeah, so when he's speaking of us being salt, the world is witnessing how we, how we live together. And so there is a call on us as a church to show forgiveness to one another to display generosity, to serve one another, to be in community with people, to carry each other's burdens. This is why we have the Expo, so that you can be connected in community and serve in community. And when the world witnesses how the community of believers interact with one another, how we serve each other inside the church and inside the community around the world, they taste, they can finally taste not just one little grain but the community of salt and the community of light. That's why there's many churches who have lost their saltiness, have lost the truth, and they're worthless. Might as well just trample them underfoot like Jesus said. Or they hide the truth in embarrassment, and so no one really even sees anything in their church. It's worthless. May it never be so at Calvary. May we always retain our saltiness in our light, in truth, and in grace, for it is the thing the world needs. That's what the world needs. And so I I just want to encourage us as Christians, as we wrap up a short series, I think, on what we believe, and it just feels like the world is against you and you have a tendency to be on your heels, let us not retreat like that, Let us say there's no God forsaken place. We will get down in the places of disease for we will bring healing and there is no place that does not need light so we will will stand up tall and display the truth of God for it is the remedy that the sick world needs. It is. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you I thank you that you are the light of the world that came to us. And Father, I just pray for my friends in this room that they would not be ashamed to know the truth, but they would be emboldened to know the truth. Father, I pray that they would go and share what they know to be true, but they would do it in gentleness and respect. They would do it in humility and kindness. For the eyes of the world are sensitive to light and their wounds are deep. And so, Father, I pray that you would just deploy us as your church to bring the healing enlightenment to those who are struggling around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.